but I felt in the capacity that Tam and I carry as being pastors of this community that it's good every now and again just to look at us speaking to our culture, our DNA, and really emphasize a few things when it comes to who we are. So two passages of scripture that I'm going to start with, and cans if you can get those up on the screen. The first one is Exodus chapter 18. Quite a large portion of scripture, you can follow along there, listen to the sound of my voice. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing for the people? Pause. I believe it is imperative for every single one of us to have a person in our life who loves us enough to look at us honestly and pose a few questions to us. Because they can see from an objective perspective, which often helps us in our blind spots. So Moses is having an exchange with his father in law. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answers, because the people come to me to see God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replies, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. What I love about that advice is that Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, is saying to Moses, it is not good for you to be alone in carrying all of the burdens of the people. Yes, you should stand before them and before God when they come to you with their issues. Give them advice as to how best to navigate it. And I love that he says, teach them God's ways. Now hear me, co-church. We want to teach you in the ways of God. Because the ways of God are always higher, better, more eternal, and more helpful in the long term when it comes to us living out our lives and the behaviors that we have. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this in God's own commands, get this, you will be able to stand the string and all these people will go home satisfied. Let's jump to the New Testament. Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them 
complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. If you read the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which gives the metaphor of the church being described as a body, it speaks of how each part of the body is as important as every part. The parts we see, the parts we don't see. And it actually describes to us how we ought to give honor to the parts that in a worldly perspective could seem to be less important. Because here is the reality, particularly in a certain manner of delivering church, which is very Sunday-centric, which is often driven by a platform or a stage or a microphone, we fall into this trap where we start to create a pyramid of hierarchy of what is more important than not in the context of the roles that people play in the body of Christ. And there is no difference. So in this time right now, as uh, the teaching goes, okay, there is a challenge that has arisen. It would not be right of us to neglect a certain part, to take up a certain part, because we can't do everything. It's not to say that one part is more important than the other, but it is to speak of the significance of each part. So the twelve gathered disciples together and said, Would it be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables? Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. When we start to see some language that says choose men, is that saying we don't choose women? There has been some tension around this particular topic of men, women, in leadership. I'm not going to go there right now. However, I am going to say this. That word men, in the Greek, it is oftentimes used in a masculine form that speaks specifically of gender. But it is the exact, not even slightly different, it is the exact same word that is used of people in a generic sense. So we see men, we jump straight to gender, but if we go back, it could also mean people. And I'm just going to state this for the record. We believe in both men and women when it comes to leadership and the context of our church. Whenever people get together, as wonderful as we are, as gifted, as talented, as wonderfully made by God as we are, the reality is, is that when we get together, we bring some issues with us. And that happens everywhere at all times. There are no perfect churches, there are no perfect communities, uh, there are no perfect societies this side of heaven. So when people get together, we bring our stuff. And you know what? It's cool. If, if there is ever a place or a grouping of people or a community that could bring their stuff, surely it's church. Like, surely it should be us 
who are non-judgmental, who create psychological safety, who uh, embrace, who are inclusive. Surely that should be the place. However, problems are going to arise, challenges are going to occur, and what we see is not just challenges or problems starting to surface, we see a solution being brought. Leadership and structure. What we need to realize is this, problems are only problems if we choose to see them as problems. Because we do have a choice when faced with difficulties. It's not an easy choice. It's not always a comfortable choice. Strength only occurs in resistance. If you try to build strength in your physical body, you need some form of resistance in order for there to be strength. If you're trying to innovate or get creative or you're trying to find a solution, the best gift that you can have is the gift of focus. The greatest challenge to that is destruction. But problems often bring us into an acute-like focus. So it's not necessarily what we see, it's how we choose to see it. Perspective is key. Kieran, our son, had to do a... Um, prepared reading or an oral in class, and I think the theme for everybody was interesting facts. So they came up with some interesting facts, and I was listening to him prepare for it, and it was awesome because I was, I was, I was interested in these interesting facts. Um, one of these interesting facts was this. McDonald's, the hamburger franchise, are well known across the world for having a drive through option. You don't need to get out of the car to get a burger. The drive-through system, however, wasn't a part of the original inception of the systemic delivery of McDonald's. The way that the drive-through came about was this. There was a particular McDonald's that had a lot of military as their market to serve. And at that time, which was a number of years ago, obviously, the military were not allowed out in their uniforms in public. So what this franchise owner did was he cut a hole in his wall, which meant that the military never had to get out of their vehicles. And you could say to yourself, oh, we are missing out on so much here because the military cannot get out of their cars to come and get a burger. Or, creativity, focus, how you choose to see something, creates now an initiative that is just a given within McDonald's. But it came from a problem. So when it comes to our community, there are problems that currently exist. No doubt about it. Uh, we are far from perfect. There are so many opportunities before us. But how do we actually ensure that the problems that exist, or the problems that are going to come up, because let's not be naive to the fact, that there will be problems. That is actually a positive sign that we could be growing. And also, that there's more than one or two people in our mix, and therefore we bring our stuff. The solution suggested here in Exodus 18 and in Acts chapter 6 is leadership and structure. I wanted to look at leadership in particular. And the title for my message is We Need Leaders. As co-church, we need leaders. The first question we've got to ask ourselves 
is this. What is leadership? So John Maxwell is a phenomenal leadership guru, written a lot of content, books, does a lot of leadership uh, talks, focus. He says it like that. Leadership is simply one life influencing another. Leadership is influence. I think I've got another quote from a guy called Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker is known as the godfather of management in business. Has written a lot of business books. He says like this, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. There's a difference. There is another quote here by Dallas Willard. Leadership enables people to love and honor the role they play in the organization or the group they are a part of. And I love that word, enables. For me, that resonates so strongly in the context of what leadership is. Leadership is about empowering others. It's about enabling others. And I love that he emphasizes enabling a person to love and honor the role they play. Remembering that every person has a role to play in any organization or grouping or body of people, particularly in a church. And it's to know, to love, to honor the role that you play. And it might not be the same role forever, but for now, in any given context, your role is important. Leadership enables that type of philosophy. So we've heard from John Maxwell, we have heard from Peter Drucker, we've heard from Dallas Willard, all great leadership people, but let's go to the leadership guru of all time. There is no greater leader than Jesus. Let's have a look at what Jesus says about leadership. So Jesus gathers them all together and said to them, those recognized as rulers of the people, and those who are in top leadership positions rule oppressively over their subjects. But this is not the example you are to follow. You are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone, and to give his life as a ransom for the salvation of men. If you had to look at one word that would best describe what kingdom leadership is, service is that word. To be a servant. That Jesus, and we've spoken about Jesus the last few weeks, haven't we? That we would know Jesus not just to be another person, but Jesus is God himself. So God himself, the king of all kings, the one who is worthy to be served, chose to humble himself to the point where he entered into the mess of humanity. Not to be served, but to serve. And gave for us the greatest example of what leadership actually is. And that is to serve people. Now recognize this. The beauty of leadership being influenced is that we can all be leading. Leadership is possible for all of us. 
Leadership is to influence. Leadership is to serve. Again, good news. We can all be leaders because we can all serve. And there is always the opportunity that when we are faced with problems, if there is leadership, there can be positive influence. You know what, guys? Like, I, I, I do need to remind myself, having lived overseas for 18 years and living in what could best be described as two very prominent first world countries, South Africa has its complexity. There's no doubt about it. So we can think to ourselves, oh my gosh, we live in a place where there are so many problems. But they are only problems if we choose to see them as problems. And could they actually be opportunities in disguise? That if there was ever a place for you and I to reside as followers of Jesus, who are called to be salt and light, it is to be in a place of complexity and challenge and strife and darkness. Because wherever there is darkness, even the smallest flame shines brightly. And so we are well positioned for leadership. We are well positioned for service and influence. But here are some of the ingredients of a leader. Integrity. For me, integrity is you do what you say. What you say and what you do aligns. Another way of talking about integrity is who you are when no one's looking. Or let's say it like this. Who you are on Sunday is the same person you are at your friend's 40th. Or their 21st. I'm just trying to maybe bring down the average age of our church. We're talking in the context of leadership. Integrity, you are the same person. In a faith environment, in a work environment, in a party environment, all those sorts of environments, integrity means you are the same. Consistency. Here's another interesting point, um, and, I, and I got it from a guy called Jim Collins. Jim Collins, again, is a phenomenal leadership expert. He wrote a book called Good to Great. And the essence of the book is that they did case studies on certain businesses and they looked at businesses that had the effective transition from being just good businesses to being great businesses. And, and they had a few factors that made a business great. They then came up with this concept that spoke of the significance of leadership in an organization. And they categorized leadership in certain ways. They had level one leaders, one through to five. Okay, five being the leaders that really were at the helm of an organization that saw a business go from being good to great. This is the way he says, uh, Jim Collins, the level five leader displays a powerful mixture of personal humility and indomitable, I don't know how to pronounce that word, indomitable. Am I saying it right? No, I'm saying it right. Or I'm clear. It's all good. Just listen along. Determination. They're incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the cause, for the organization, and for its purpose, and not themselves. 
Level five leaders are leaders who have significant ambition, but for a bigger picture. Not selfish ambition, but ambition for the cause of their organization with an incredible mix of humility. The greatest cause today and all time is the cause of Christ. And that is, there is a God who is alive, who loves us and has made a way for us in Jesus and has now commissioned us who would profess to believe in Him to the greatest cause of all time. And that is to go to all of the nations and to make disciples of people, to see them coming to Christ, baptized, filled with the Spirit and living full, abundant lives. That is the cause of Christ. And so a leader is one who is passionate and ambitious about the cause. Now, if we bring that down into more specific scenarios, co-church, we want to become a church that is deeply formed by Christ. We want to become a church that is the essence of community, and we want to become a church that is known for restoration. If we had to bring the specifics into our context, that would be defined as our cause Leaders in our church will be passionate about that, ambitious about that, with a beautiful mix of humility. The final ingredient with regards to what I've looked at and studied and come to experience is competence. You can't deny competence, right? Competence is key. The ability to do what it is that you're saying you're going to do and what needs to be done. But I want to add on to this. That is what often the world would define as a great leader. And those, rarely when it's all said and done, are biblical. They're not new principles. They're not like some business expert came up with that. That really is the very definition of the characteristics that we find in becoming disciples of Jesus. But I would like to add this to being a kingdom leader. That an ingredient is to be a servant. And then also, that there would be an anointing for leadership. Anointing. It's a funny word, right? Like, you might not have heard that much, you don't talk about it in our everyday language. But anointing is, is of significance in the context of being a kingdom leader. Because we can have all of the ingredients of a great worldly leader, but at the end of the day, we're not trying to be worldly leaders. We're desiring kingdom leadership. That Acts chapter 6, it says it like this, that when there were issues that arose in the community, look for people, and not just people who fit the category of being highly skilled, great orators, communicators, uh, can do a job well. They said, look for people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. See, the anointing in our context is that it is to be marked by God himself through his spirit. That this is not by our effort and by our might. This is by the spirit of God. This is what we are looking for in the context of co-church. Because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that our leadership begins and is formed in fellowship. Dallas Willard again says it like this. 
The hardest thing about leadership is the intimacy it requires. John chapter 15, Jesus says to us, Abide in me as I abide in you, and by this you will bear much fruit. Fellowship will be seen. Your intimacy with Jesus will be seen. And this is where it's identified. It's identified in our relationships. It's far too easy to lead a group of people off of a stage than it is to be a leader in your own household. And so for us, that's why we've always said it. Worship begins at home. For me, that was one of the greatest things about the global lockdown that churches couldn't gather together. That we couldn't outsource our faith. We couldn't put our kids in a kids' program and hope that they come to know Jesus. The rubber hit the road around the dinner table. And that's where leadership is evidence. Presence. <laughs> so such a common sense one. If you're going to be a leader in co-church, you need to actually be here. <laughs> I mean, right? Because you think, well, is that necessary? Like it is. Like you need to actually physically be here. And not just here, like as in this building. You, you need to be in other people's lives. You need to be present. In, in smaller groups, or you need to be present in service. You need to be, like, for you to be leading, you need to be present. But we're not looking at quantity, we're looking at quality, first and foremost. Quality is always key because context and capacity differs. So we're not putting a blanket statement over everybody's life to say, well, everybody has to fit within a certain criteria. No, but quality is key presence, service. Generosity. How generous are you with your life? Humility. And then competency. Co-church, we need leaders. You know what I actually could do? And just speaking to us this morning, I can even put a red line through that, that statement. Because we, we actually don't need leaders. You know what we need? We need disciples. That's what we need. Co-church needs Decides. Because our leadership is formed in our fellowship. And the more we can come to a sincere intimacy with Jesus, the more everything of the fruit of his life is real in our life. And he is the greatest leader. And in him is leadership of the church, leadership of our families, leadership of our communities.